Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Uh, you're listening to this probably on the Podbean app or on the internet at Podbean. And please go to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all one word. KeepingTheNostalgiaAlive.podbean.com And you can hear over 170 interviews associated with the great game of basketball. Most of them are about basketball, six degrees of basketball from the state of Indiana. We have a few baseball ones in there. We have a couple musical ones in there. But I love the keeping I love to keep the nostalgia alive so I can document the past so the future can remember. So with that being said, I'm really excited about today's um, <clears throat> uh, guest. And my wife one day told me that she goes to these. I've been in Houston, Texas since 1996. And uh, my wife said, hey, um, evidently there's this, there's this place where they go, my wife and her friend go to uh, uh, buy antiques. And it's a huge event and it happens twice a year. And she said one day, hey, would you like to go up to this area? And uh, we're going to see a, uh, uh, a friends of ours who live at Black, uh, Black Dog Farm. And I said, sure. And she said, I found this place in Carmine, Texas, and it's called the Texas Basketball Museum. And of course, I was like, what? <laughs> Please take me there. So uh, today on our program is the curator of the Texas Basketball Museum, Bob Springer. And uh, he has done a great job. It is fantastic inside. Um, we're going to give you some information on how you can get there, uh, the phone number, uh, when it's open, or how you can set up a, a personal tour, or how you can donate to help this. Because, you know, be, me being from Indiana... You know, it, it's all about basketball. And when I came to Texas, I thought it was all about football, but it's not. So uh, with us today is Bob Springer, the curator of the Texas Basketball Museum. Bob, thanks for taking some time. I know you've got a busy schedule. Thanks for taking some time with us to help keep the nostalgia alive and tell us about the Texas Basketball Museum. Sure, Billy. It sounds great. Uh, I'm glad to be with you this morning. And I've always promoted basketball across the state and across the nation. So I've uh, been a long time. Um, involved with uh, uh, the history and, of course, um, going back to when I first started playing or trying to play and then going on through a coaching career of 30 years in Houston, Texas, and coached in high school, uh, all the big schools, you know, major big schools, and then, uh, of course, compiling also a, um, a magazine called Texas Basketball Magazine, uh, which I did for 24 years because nobody else would do it. And, um, of course, evolving into that also with the collection over 40 years, uh, accumulating to do a basketball museum, which I've always wanted to do. You, you know, I'm so excited to hear about this, but let's start uh, way back there a little bit and, and tell everybody where you're originally from and who introduced your, who introduced you to the game of basketball. Well, I was born in Canada um, in 1941, and uh, coming up there, uh, didn't have any indoctrination of sports or really involved in sports. Lived there for nine years, and then my dad was, uh, he traveled the globe building oil refineries, and we spent two years down in Santos, Brazil, and there did some makeshift surfing as a nine or ten-year-old, whatever, and uh, we kick, played kickball. That's it, but that's the home of Billy, a great soccer player there. 
we spent two years there, and then we came back and moved to Texas. And uh, in Texas, uh, basically, I was I was um, just going into high school, and I was about six foot two. You know, didn't have any uh, enthusiasm for sports or indoctrination in sports or anything like that. And I joined the band, and so I played four years in the band, high school band. And during that time, uh, as I grew, as I grew up, you might say, I grew two inches a year. I was six two as a freshman, uh, six four sophomore, six six a junior, and six eight as a senior. So the basketball coach caught my attention, the uh, my junior year, and asked me to come out. But I was too scared, I suppose. I didn't know anything about basketball really. And so my senior year, uh, the football coach, uh, basketball coach resigned, so football coach took over, and uh, I went out to try out and whatever. And the team was made, and I was one of the last two, uh, down to two guys between me, six foot eight, and a guy that was another guy named, I think Eddie Fisher, and he he was like five foot eight or five foot ten or something like that. And so how I made the team, Billy, you're not going to believe it, uh, pick a number between 1 and 100. <laughs> so whatever whatever number I picked was going to be right, I think. So that's how, that's how I wound up uh, being introduced to basketball. And, um, and I, of course, you know, I never played before. and just, I just didn't know a thing about it except just what I've at that time maybe seen on TV or something like that. Didn't go to any games or anything. Uh, of course, with being in bands at all the football games, you know, that type of thing. But um, so uh, I really was just kind of a babe in the woods just trying to learn the game, which I didn't have much experience. And, of course, our team, would, our team wasn't any good. We just, you know, basically um, we played a schedule and we the team wound up being 4-22 and for the year. So nothing to brag about. So when I – came out of the school, you know, I wanted to eventually start getting honed in about him. I wanted to use my height to be a basketball player. So I was trying to get involved that way. And, um, so I didn't have these people pounding on my door to, to, uh, you know, like a bunch of coaches coming after that type of thing. But I did have one coach from Jacksonville Baptist junior college that uh, he offered me a full scholarship. And, um, so I went up there and played two years and didn't play, went up there and learned, two years at Jacksonville uh, Baptist College. You just started the program up and then dormant forever. And um, so I, I trained real hard, and I learned from my fellow uh, teammates and everything. Never started a game. Went through the whole period of two years, just trained real hard, and, and uh, got my fundamentals down and, and got uh, developed my shot and um, trained hard, like I said, uh, which was really good. So at the end of my uh, junior college year, my roommate uh, Rob Evans he says, "Bob, you got to send out send out some postcards to some you know some colleges. Just put your name and stuff down there, and what 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 where where you're at, and what you where you played, and all that kind of stuff." And so I picked uh, I picked three schools that I would like to entertain and go ahead good basketball programs, and I received. Um, uh, see one back from Howard Payne College to try out, which was NAIA, which you could have tryouts. And uh, I had a real good tryout, and the coach was impressed and liked what I was able to do and accomplish. 
and he gave me a full scholarship, which is really great. Of course, I had a full scholarship at Jacksonville Baptist College also. So going going there in the program with uh, Howard Payne, the best thing Coach did for me, Coach Glenn Whitus, really good coach. He redshirted me for a year, which which really helped my development. Um, I couldn't I couldn't uh, play or travel with the team, but I keep stats. Of course, we worked out every day hard. I mean, really hard. We we really <laughs> had some good knockdown dragons, you might say, at a different level in college. And um, I played against uh, two All-Americans. One was six seven, a Brody Chess's guy, and uh, and the other one was six seven six eight. And um, he led the nation in in field goal percentage uh, his senior year. So following up with that, uh, when I started as a junior and senior, uh, I started all games. I led the nation in field goal percentage my junior year, following up with, with my fellow teammate before that, and then uh, was a little All-American my senior year. After that, came back to Houston, got a got a coaching job in junior high. Coach Whitus had asked me to come on and, and be a, uh, on his staff here, but uh, I was just getting married, and so I was looking to try to settle down and find a job to make some money and raise a family, this type of thing, and went and moved to Houston where I got a, a junior college, a junior high job, excuse me, and uh, then went into, uh, after a few years, uh, got into high school, and over my 30-year career as a high school coach, I coached at uh, Sam Houston High School for seven years, Dallas High School for eight years, and Memorial High School in and out for like um, 13 years. And half that time I was in there as an assistant coach to coach Don Coleman, outstanding literary coach who just recently passed away this past week. And um, so I learned a lot from him, and, and uh, when he passed on, uh, as his assistant, I already been the head coach at the other places, and I was elevated to the head coach there for about five years, and I retired after that. Uh, Bob, you know, I, I always have with every guest that I have on the program. There's always some kind of six degrees of separation that, and and what's interesting is, and I did not know this uh, uh, before you just stated it, but you know, we live basically right across the street from the Don Coleman uh, Gymnasium here in the Spring Branch area in Houston, Texas. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, just recently they had a memorial for him. Um, I'm going to say about, oh, maybe three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And um, they, his son, Brandon Coleman, was a real real advertising person, and he put together, a, they built a, a bronze statue inside of him. On a, they had a big celebration, and everybody came back to visit him watched the opening of that besides it being named for him, but it sits in the hallway as you walk in. It's about a nine foot bronze statue. It's really good. So, uh, yeah, it's right there. That's right there in our area where we played down uh, at different schools. I think Stratford's right across the street. Um, and what high school did you play your high school basketball? Uh, Vider high school, Vider high school, the other past Beaumont. And, uh, we were known for football primarily, and uh, basketball was like a secondary thing. And uh, that's where I played one year right there, and that was it. So so when did the light bulb go off over your head, or when did you think, you know, I, I'm working hard at this game of basketball. I've only been playing it for two or three years. 
you know, uh, I, I, I love it. I, and I want to coach it. What, I mean, when did this, when did this light bulb go off or when did you figure out that's what you wanted to do with your career? Well, you know, uh, in the high school part, here's my, here's my intention. Okay. Uh, and I developed a love for it there just during that one year. So my idea was I'd join the service. Okay. And, um, I'd play two years there or four years, whatever my term would be with the service. And, um, particularly air force, I picked, wanted to pick that one out first. And I tried to join and, and I found out that I couldn't qualify in any of the service, I tried all four branches, and because uh, I was too tall, I'm six eight. The uh, the height limit was six six, so that kind of kind of put me on the what do you call it, the stall there until I got to go on to Jacksonville. But as I went through and as I trained hard, and I got along with my teammates and learned the game, nature of the game, the camaraderie, the fellowship with the players and everything, and and just a good time in my life, especially at Howard Payne. And just a small school, but we just were real close and everything together. And this was kind of an impetus that uh, this is what I wanted to do and uh, to coach. And then, of course, you know, that was the avenue. My major was physical education. Most of my classes were physical education until uh, right down to the end. And then uh, we changed up and did a, um, a CDC or a corporal discipline center to manage, to manage that for like about five years. What... So, so were you a historian? I know, I know you're now the curator of the Texas Basketball Museum, but were you curious about the game once you started playing it and researched and, and read up on it and followed certain teams? Or were you, for those first two or three years, were you just focused on uh, getting the, um, uh, the fundamentals of the basketball game down pat with you? Or did, was there a favorite team you liked to watch in the pros? Did you like the pros? Was there a t- favorite team in the college? Was there a favorite player that you liked or watched or emulated? Well, no, really what uh, just happens as it transpired uh, I just developed the love for the game, and particularly after I got got to being better and competing good, against good teams and and being a participant, I averaged a double double, sixteen points and twelve rebounds to my career. And we played some good teams, and uh, we just, it just was fun to me. I just enjoyed that a whole lot, and that kind of inspired me. Uh, as far as uh, historian or doing the part. Um, what what was really uh, put in put into my background when I coached with Coach Coleman is under his wing when I first started out there as I moved from junior high to high school. Uh, he was really an inspiration, like says he was kind of my mentor. And I started doing. We started going to. Of course, he went to the state tournament about six times. Went state in nineteen sixty six Memorial, but we'd always go to the state tournament. So I I have gone to fifty state tournaments until recently with my legs and we moved to San Antonio, the tournament did and I couldn't do it anymore. So, but, um, that, that inspired me to really, uh, being a professional and being, being involved with, uh, uh, basketball coach association, uh, TABC, that's our local one, the Texas high school coaches association, which I've been a member of for 50 years also. And I'm a lifetime member of TABC, uh, our Texas association of basketball coaches, but being professional in history and doing my magazine, when I started my magazine, okay, uh, I wanted to really get us recognized here in the state of Texas. And uh, it seems like 
all the sports writers were up on the East Coast, and of course, that's where all the propaganda came down from where the best teams were, all the conferences and TV days then. You didn't see much about the Southwest area down here. I think I think they thought that uh, we were down here riding horses and with our six guns on or something like that. <laughs> Bob, tell us a little bit about, now, you know, I'm from the state of Indiana, and from 1911 to 1997, the Indiana High School Basketball Tournament was single class, which means that everybody plays everybody until you get down to the final two teams, and whoever wins that is the the ultimate state champion. In 1997 in Indiana, they switched it to a four-class system, and it's really lost a little bit of uh, luster of what it used to be. And, of course, we all know the movie Hoosiers, which came out in 1986. So tell, tell the listeners who are listening from Indiana and from some of those states that did have one-class systems, how did the playoffs and how did a basketball season work here while you were coaching? Well, well let me say something about Indiana. Okay, that's always been one of my favorites because that's a basketball state, bottom line. And I copied my magazine. I did a lot of research, and I knew all about your magazines. I do my market preview of, of, of things that are happening. And um, the story, you know, what's what's our little school's name that won the whole thing the last time? Milan. I want to. I don't. Milan. Okay. There's a good story there. Okay. Uh, one of the coaches I coached against down here uh, in Houston, when I said uh, Sam Houston was Ronnie Truitt, and he played on the Milan team. He came down to the University of Houston and did four years as a player there and then became head coach at Cypher High School. Well, Ronnie was also a really good coach, and he went on when Wheatley was a big powerhouse down here. I mean, they were the team. They just they just took it over, man, just unbelievable. And uh, won state championships back-to-back. Well, Ronnie won a state championship basically with six guys and just kind of like the show, like with Milam. And uh, he controlled the tempo. And uh, he had some great guards, and he had, he had a good, composite good people he put together. But he did a great coaching job. Controlled the tempo, and uh, wound up beating uh, the Wildcats, the Wheatley Wildcats, by about six points. And uh, I, I think that's just really um, part of it. You know, going doing the research from the magazine, uh, the tier system. I like the one. I like the like like you said when they took it away and broke it down divisions. To get more participation, that's great, but to have that one history thing that you had where they all competed from one was just really fantastic, you know. And because you all had such good stuff with sectionals and everything like that, it's really community bonded. And you already had more people participating anyway. Down here in Texas, we had divisions because of the size schools; they participated in their own own zones, areas, and all that kind of stuff. Regionals. And came all the way up. It was started with four divisions, I think. Uh, well, actually, three way back when the 20s uh, was 3A, 2A, 1A. And uh, and so it evolved into what it is now, 6A, down to 1A. And everybody qualifies by number of room one in the schools. And, uh, of course, what what is there is that the top level has the most you want to see the most talent, okay, but not necessarily all the divisions. But each division has talent, but uh, not as dominant. You've got more players to select from in your bigger bigger schools. Smaller schools, like Class A, you might only have 12 guys uh, lucky to get that to be playing basketball. And uh, you might 
only have one good player and you're working with all the other guys to bring them up. And which we have some really good coaches in class A, don't get me wrong, that go on and win state and, and just compete with other levels too. So it's really interesting. It's a really good program. And uh, what's what's amazing is over the years, okay, that uh, we had it where only the district champion would advance to the playoffs, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I'll give you an example of mine, which I'm not proud of, but uh, my best team at Dallas High School was 32-5 and five state ranked. We came in second place and didn't go anywhere. The couple of next following years, we got a change where we went into a playoff system where it was more equal. We got got it uh, balanced up where the first two at least got to go to the playoffs. And eventually went to three playoff teams, which was real good. Okay, that was really strong. But now it's up to four playoff teams, and actually that fourth place is like cannon fodder. I mean, it's like the district champion plays the 4A team. But the plus side is if you had a star player and he, he was out for several weeks, um, you still had a chance to come back and compete and go on further and might advance in the playoffs. And I tracked that pretty good, and and uh, virtually there's only a handful of advanced to into the regionals, right? And on, but nobody's won state from the four, you know, the four playoff system like that. You, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, Bobby Plump was on that Milan team in 1954, and and you know, you we, bet. T- we talked about Ronnie Truitt, and you know, and and you know, he wasn't a major factor. Uh, I, I made the comment to Bobby. I said he wasn't a major factor in scoring, but you know he came down here and coached high school basketball, and and um, and he and Bobby stopped me and kind of kind of uh, lectured me a little bit that you know you know uh, Ronnie Truett scored six points in that championship game in 1954, and if it wasn't those for those six points, they would have lost by five points, and it wouldn't be what it is. <laughs> and and what's interesting too about Ronnie Truett is that uh, he is one of the few coaches. That you know his state championship team, I think in seventy or seventy one, was actually uh, proclaimed the uh, high school basketball national champion. That's correct. That's correct. Exactly right. And and like I said, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie had a good career, but uh, he passed away early uh, with with I think um, prostate cancer, and they named the school a junior junior high after him in, in the Cypher system. So he's well recognized, and like I said, he he did an outstanding job. He just really did. And what's also amazing is during that career win and going on to win state, uh, Memorial played them either in district or by district. Right? But anyway, one of those places there where this is a deciding game <clears throat> to advance uh, to advance in the playoffs. And uh, they went five overtimes, and a guard that had never hit a long shot or <laughs> wasn't a shooter, he threw the ball up three-quarter court and made the basket that eliminated uh, Memorial. So it must have been district, I suppose. But uh, just how so competitive. But they went on, and uh, one state was just really putting the claim back then. What was your first piece of basketball or basketball a memorabilia from Texas or from anywhere that you picked up and you said, you know, this is kind of a neat piece or this is kind of neat. I like it. I'm going to display it at the house or I'm going to put it up on the wall or whatever. Do you remember that? 
Well, I, I've got so much stuff, it's unreal. My collection <laughs> is really, I've got 1,400 square feet full. I keep buying, and I've got another room. I'm going to have to go ahead and redo that to, to expand the museum because I'm running out of space. <laughs> Excuse me. But I can't actually remember what what the first piece was because <clears throat> I'm always collecting. And uh, But I do have some, some significant pieces in the museum that are my favorite, like, I've got a night. In other words, the building burned down today. I would go grab this ball first, okay? It's a 1941 Reach basketball, and uh, it's got 24 National Hall of Famers on it because I used to go at all the Final Fours when Houston was up there for about 10 or 11 years, even beyond them. But when we were up in Denver one time, okay, uh, I was up there as a vendor with Shootaway. And it's up there telling my guys, we're talking to a few of my friends there as vendors of the exhibit, and said, I'm taking this ball. Uh, I'm going to go to the main hotel, and down, down in the lounge area, downstairs, I'll be sitting there with the rings on, Hall of Fame rings, beginning ready for the reception to bring in the new inductees to the Hall of Fame. I'll see if I give me some signatures. So one of the guys popped up and said, well, hey, you ought to get Red R back to sign, sign the ball. I said, sure, when are we going to find Red R back? What's wrong with you? He says, Bob, he's sitting for a boost me down over here. And so I says, wow, well, I made a beeline over there, and sure enough, there was Red R back sitting in a big chair, lounge chair, uh, smoking a stogie, and he just finished up with a couple of fans, and he's, he's signing New Balance shoes pamphlets when they came out. So I came up on his blind side, and I touched touched him on his elbow, and I said, Coach, have you ever seen an old ball like this? Or have you seen have you seen a basketball like this? And he says, Oh man, that's an old basketball. Wow. <laughs> so will you do me a favor and be the first to sign the ball, take up the whole panel and put your name on it? And he was glad to do that. And I'm gonna have a museum one of these days. And uh he signed up for me and uh, nice and big and it's just a really good piece with all the other people on her, Hank Iba. Frank McGuire, Ray Meyer, just on and on. Just just got a bunch of really good folks. John Cullen with the Minneapolis Lakers. And um, Slater Martin, of course, from our, our hometown here in Houston. And uh, just just a really good piece. But that's one of my favorites. So, Bob, let's go ahead and go delve into this. Uh, you know, you tell Red Arbach, I'm, I'm going to start a museum. Where, where does this idea come from? When does it uh, uh, when does it kind of come into your mind? And uh, how does uh, while you're coaching, are you still formulating this? You know, give us a little bit of rundown of uh, how. And, and I've been there, and it's a fantastic place. And the fourteen hundred square feet, man. If you just if it could be spread out, oh my gosh, I, I I can't say enough good things about it. But it is crammed with with just great items of. Uh, of the history of uh, uh, basketball in Texas. And, and you know, you, you're, I'm so surprised of the six degrees of separation from basketball in Indiana. But when does, when does all this uh, appear and, and when do you think of it? And, and, and tell us about this idea and how it churns and how you, how you map it out and, and how it is today. Well, what happened is I've always been a collector, you might say. And I started collecting even antiques. So I got an antique shop also, but I've always collected and of course, basketball has been one of my main loves, you might say, besides my wife. 
and uh, probably started collecting charms and basic basketball cards and the little charms they give away and they put on your letter jacket or you give them to your girlfriend or something like that, little basketball. So I accumulated a collection of that and, of course, uh, basketball cards. Back in the 80s, so I said it was in the 80s, uh, basketball cards were, nobody cared about them. I mean, you know, football or mainly baseball, you know, that type of thing, football is big. But basketball, you can go in the shop, I might have only have 20 bucks in my pocket to spend and everything. One time I went to a shop to give you an example, and I came out of there with five Pete Maravich cards, his rookie cards, oh, wow. for about five bucks, five bucks a piece. <laughs> and I said, you just, I just kept collecting stuff like that. Books, all these little, little uh, paperback books that were on basketball, you, see, you don't see them anymore now. But um, I'd collect all those, anything to do with basketball. Claire B, you name it, any authority, anything, any piece of paper, anything, just I would collect it because I just loved it, you know. And I just kept collecting it and evolving, of course, doing my antiques, and and it kept spreading out and eventually wound up with uh, <clears throat> moving up to Carmine, Texas, where we have a big um, antique fair that's like twice a year. It's one of, the, one of the biggest in the nation, and we have thousands of dealers come down there and put their wares out and all kind of venues and stuff. So we've got an antique shop, just like the museum, basketball museum. It is stocked full of stuff, too, that I've collected over the years. And so with my idea in my back of my mind, so I've got so much stuff at the house that I just, you know, we got I've got to be able to display it. I wanted to be able to have a museum one day because I've collected so much basketball memorabilia. And uh, I was thinking, boy, I'd have to get a piece of land, build a building, and, and uh, says, oh, that's you know, it's kind of far-fetched to do that. And I had a place picked out in Burton, Texas, just seven miles down the road. It was beautiful, and uh, it just looked like perfect place, but um, too expensive. I could have fundraised and probably done it, but so I just kept going off the idea and the idea. And then right uh, next door to my place at the basketball museum, Albers Butane, the the senior, the main person, died, and the Son, the daughter, and and brother had custody of it, and uh, I tried to buy it from because the place, after a couple of years, was just getting run down and and uh, getting dilapidated and and uh, just a sore site, you might say. And it took me two years to come back and make another offer. And then it, I told him I want to do a basketball museum. We'd have ground top carving included in there, also as a prime space, you know. Because the girls won state championships back in 66, 70, and 71 with three different coaches. And uh, that's back when they played six on six. And they had some really good teams. And uh, so I made a nice display for them also. So in doing and putting that together then, all right, it took me about two years to get the building and buy it. And then I had to start laying it out as to way it would work, like how it would how run to lay it out. And I didn't have, uh, I had to build my own cases there around the side. And um, this happened by, I don't know, but I don't know if it's luck or just me foraging around or finding things. But so I went to one dry goods store there in, in Giddings, um, Texas, and it was closing down. It was the end of the sale. The only thing left was something nobody else wanted. And they had four 12 foot by, by three foot uh, width. There were counter displays and uh, about 
36 inches off the ground. And uh, so, well, that's, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll buy those. I got those, and I got them to the museum. I got them in there. And space is really tough because it has to be done just right. <clears throat> My idea was I'll put these older cases on top of them and display it like that, and that looked pretty good. But the only problem is, how would I move them to get back in the back to load them up? <laughs> so my wife came up with this idea. and says, Bob, you ought to cut them in half. I said, sure. <laughs> and that's what I did. I cut them in half. And there was another store, hardware store that went out of business in uh, Giddings. And I got all kind of stuff there. I, I bought shelving. It was like probably 12, well, it was actually 16-foot lengths. It was already uh, varnished on both sides and everything. I must have bought 20 pieces of that. And that's when I wound up finishing my cases around around the side they're in with the tops and the bottoms. And they had to go find glass. I find, I'd go find glass wherever I could get it and donate it, whatever, and stuff like that. Then I'd have to cut it to fit and put rails and stuff in. That made the show display cases. And of course, I had older display cases I found. And this thing certainly worked out good to make a good display like that. And then uh, just... Like I said, been collecting basketballs. I probably get more basketballs than anybody, and uh, I keep I keep looking for them. I've got about fourteen old basketballs that are in the twenties or teens. They're lace basketballs that I've acquired, and uh, they might wind up being deflated, and I'd have to take them apart and stuff them with paper or or uh, packing beads that time, and then relace them, and just they turned out real nice. But it's just the love of the game. I just just always just wanted to share with people. You know, it's a little tradition. Pass it on to let people know what where it's come from and show how good we were at one time and we still are. And um, just promote the sport. That's what I do. You know, I, I guess I've been saying, uh, how do you pronounce Carmine? Is it Car- Carmen? Is that how you pronounce it? I've been pronouncing it Carmine. Actually, actually, actually pronounce it Carmine. Carmine. Okay, Carmine. Yeah. Yeah, like with red color. But what, what the deal was, they had a way back when, when the town first stole up, they had a problem with between two zip codes. There's two towns that sound together, and we had uh, the right name, but so we had to trade tra- it off and make it Car- Carmine or Carmine, where it was Carmine before, and we wound up with that name. So that's what the locals tell me anyway. So it's worked out good. Location's good. Uh, the gentleman across the street that built the built a nice restaurant and the uh, nice place up front. Uh, uh, he was a civil engineer and did a super job. And it opened up the same time the museum opened up. And here's the other other part of the story. So, you know, we used to live in Houston, so we had a nice place there, older place. And uh, I finally got the museum done. And I told my wife, I says, you know, uh, I can't say I'm going to meet somebody in an hour and 15 minutes if I'm lucky to get there by then and drive all the way up here and hope it's still here. Because <laughs> basically, the way I do a museum, I do it by appointments. I can't afford to have anybody um, at the counter or something like that stay there the whole day, and I just can't afford it. You don't make you don't make money on museums. It's strictly something that's done out of, of your goodwill, good heart, and that type of thing, and any funding you can get, which is basically my basketball magazine helped provide a lot of the funding what I've put together and buying the building and that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it's, it's come along good. And every once in a while we, we do take donations 
and uh, I've had some good donations come in and and uh, really helps get me along that type of thing. Plus, plus for our Texas Association of Basketball Coaches, they they give me a stipend also that helps with the utilities and stuff and the insurance on the building itself, so we don't lose anything. So uh, it's worked out okay where it's, the jobs are getting done, but. Basically, I have to make appointments. I ask people to make appointments. Got a big sign in the front door. Just call me. I live three blocks away. I'll come down and open up anytime, 24-7, any time of the day. If you come in with your buddies from Austin on the way back home, it's 11 o'clock at night, I'll come down and open up for you. That's what I do for basketball. Uh, and that is true because uh, once we found this place out, uh, we called you on our little trip uh, to uh, up there and um... – uh, you showed up and gave us a tour, which was fantastic. You guys also have a uh, Facebook page, so you can find Bob and the Texas Basketball Museum on Facebook at Texas Basketball Museum. And um, I, I, it's, it, I mean, firsthand, I've gone through, and I'm from the state of Indiana, so everything that I went in and, and took a look at and his, his, uh, his displays and his presentations – it's just, you know, it's not a huge place, but there's a huge amount. I would say that, you know, I have been to the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. I would say there is probably the same amount of stuff inside the Texas Basketball <laughs> Museum that there is in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame just because the Indiana because the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame has so much room to spread out, you can't yours is more concentrated. So so I think it's fantastic. So um, make sure to find the Texas Basketball Museum up on Facebook, and you're going to find a lot of stuff. And here uh, uh, pretty soon, probably you'll be able to donate onto the um, Texas Basketball Museum page on Facebook. Also, um, Bob, inside the Texas Basketball Museum, when you go to the right. There's a uh, a thing where everybody's in the Texas Basketball <clears throat> Hall of Fame. It, is there a Hall of Fame in Texas? How how does that work? Okay, it's, it's diminutive compared to Indiana. I've been to your museum in Newcastle. Okay, and just just like blew me away. I just just love it. It's one of, it's one of the best museums ever. All of my You got so many great people up there and players that coaches have been through there. And, uh, you know, Larry Bird, John Wooden. I've got John Wooden's signature on the ball, too. It's another story. But but uh, I walked through the whole thing inside. Your, how your Hall of Fame's laid out? And of course, when you all have inductions, you don't induct five or six or seven or eight like we do yearly. You all do about 21 a year. <laughs> and we've got a bunch of people to catch up on. But like I said, I'm running out of space. I've got to expand because uh, we've got a lot more people that need to be recognized. But what we do is we have a Hall of Fame committee, okay, which I'm not on. I basically just take care of everything and try to do the right job. And um, they pick out the people that are nominated. Uh, they have to put their resume up. Somebody has to put them up for nomination, that type of thing. Then the committee goes through the nominations, look at what's been you know, laid before them, and they pick out the people uh, that are going to be inducted that year. And it'll range from usually try to get – uh, at least one or maybe two women, and then the rest are gentlemen and uh, players, coaches, uh, predominantly, and a good mixture and everything. And uh, that works out really good. So uh, that's kind of a little format. But it goes through the Texas Association of ba- Basketball Coaches. They have that Hall of Fame committee, and that's where, that's where you find me with the museum, too. 
so so then there you know you have wall space and you have them on your wall inside the Texas Basketball Museum. Is there a place? Is there another place in the state of Texas that those people who are in the Texas Basketball Hall of Fame? Um, is there another place for that, or is it just your place that has them um, um, shown? This is a, this is the only museum in the state of Texas for basketball, <laughs> and uh, it started in '71 with the. Uh, with the uh, inductions and everything. And it actually came, actually started back, uh, it evolved from uh, Athens, Texas, to Dallas, Texas, to Waco, Texas, to, well, finally wound up in Waco, Texas, and a nice edifice called the Texas Sports uh, Hall Hall of Fame, all sports. So uh, back before they developed that, the man important was Charlie McCreary. He's passed on, but he's a real nice gentleman. He's a he was a he loved tennis as much as I love basketball. So it was like a quadrant off there, like a string of buildings there that he ran that he put this stuff together with basketball museum and the tennis uh, basket tennis museum, and he got them to build the building. Okay, all right, what? What happens now, okay, in the museum, how they do that, do the things that they do to try to raise some money to support this nice, beautiful building and pay for what goes on, is they they uh, really emphasize the pros and they emphasize the uh, colleges and they sell tables when they have an induction up there and uh, then you get to rub shoulders with the guys and shake hands and buy memorabilia or signatures, this type of thing. And that kind of sustains them and gets them buying everything, and uh, which is what they have to do yearly, which they do a good job with. It's a good visit, no nice place. But for our basketball museum, when I used to go up there and walk through there, I liked the place, but I'll, the only thing that showed up for basketball was I would tell people, says, I've got more stuff in my master bedroom. That's about the size of the head displayed. And so they just didn't have it all out there the way it should be that I thought, you know. So, as a coincidence, our executive director of the TABC, Rick Shirley, uh, we were talking and said, "Bob, we, we're going to we're going to have to move out of the museum. They're going to double our double our rent, and uh, can afford to pay the rent. That's too much. I mean, they already they wanted to double it, so they need more room for football, I suppose, or whatever. But so, I told Rick, says, well." Rick, I'm going to do a basketball museum. I'm doing the process of doing that. I've got a place for you to come. So use it as a little leverage and, you know, show them that uh, we'll move if that be the case. And that's what happens. I want to take my big enclosed trailer and get the whole thing and bring it on back to the house. And then we got it all set up and everything. So but it took took a while. It took about a year to remodel the place and, and get it all located and go through all the stuff and get it uh, sorted out to put it in the right place and everything. And um, uh, that's kind of the way it is right now. But I do need to expand, I'm afraid, and I have to figure out how I'm going to do that with that room. It just didn't, I can't see the flow in my mind right now, but the space is valuable. You know, too, it's, you know, you, you also have, uh, I, which I think is very unique, you have a, a, a great um, display of Pete Maravich items. I'd like to know kind of like how you got into the, love of Pete Maravich and also for those ABA people you even got a little bit of a, a, an ABA section there in the museum well you know um, going back to 
Pete Maravich, the basketball the basketball museum is all about Texas players, high school players, coaches, contributors to the pros, and that's the emphasis. But I have national stuff in there, like the display I have for Pete Maravich, well, the all-time best players ever. He's doing stuff before anybody thought about it. The most dedicated person on on the court that could do amazing things with the basketball, not just shoot the ball. Even though we average. 44 points a game for us all three years as a varsity. Even if average 44 as a freshman, too. They don't, they don't publicize that much, but uh, just an awesome player. And um, he's just always been one of my favorites. And I'll pick up stuff like I'll go to auctions or go to uh, state sales or wherever I can find it, and I'll buy stuff. That, uh, the last thing I got was a Kurt Nowitzki um, jersey, frame jersey I put in there having some from the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, I've got a lot of Houston stuff. I don't have quite as much stuff from San Antonio, even though they probably won more, what do you call it, uh, NBA championships. Houston's got two and Dallas got one. They've got about five, I think. But uh, try to give equal billing, even for the women. Of course, you know, I bought 20,000 basketball cards at one time. <laughs> got a deal, and I was talking the guy into it and told him what I was going to do with it and everything. My idea was to go through it and find all the guys from Texas high schools that played went on to play pros. It took me about a month to go through them, and, and I found 300 cards of uh, former high school players that made it, made it to the NBA and played for one or two years or whatever, and already still playing today, you know. But that's back from the 90s on. And, of course, I've got a uh, basketball card collection that goes back to the 60s. So I've got every, every year uh, – he just catalogs. I've already got them boxed up and everything. Every year I've got cards for each one. Sometimes I've got multiple years of, of cards that I've collected over the years. Not not shown, just put up in cases and trunks that they have in another room. So it's been, um, it's been you know, it's been something I just love to do. Just I've always collected magazines, got the picture in the front, maybe a sports illustrator every once in a while, but. Uh, just significant things over the years. I just kept collecting, you know, this thing I could find that was basketball inspired, you know. So, but like I said, you know, Larry Bird's one of my favorite players. You know, today I like the Big 12. I like I like Kansas. I like Texas Tech. I like Baylor. There's a lot of good teams in Big 12, so they're kind of partial to our state. So uh, I like that a whole lot. And uh, as far as players today, uh, Jimmy Butler is a Texas player. He's pretty, pretty daggum good. Of course, Chris Boss, you know, there's all kinds of players we can mention, but he's currently still playing, changing teams. He's still with, I'm not sure what team he's with. <laughs> he's jumped around a little bit. But, um, it's just really amazing that, uh, a lot of, a lot of the talent. Right now, we rank probably, uh, as one of the top three in the nation, uh, in, in regards to basketball, the size of our, membership with TABC and uh, probably the number of people we are that are coming out of Texas that are playing pro basketball is quite significant. Bob, do you guys, uh, do you have any children? Yeah, I've got a son. I've got a son. He's, he played basketball and, uh, didn't like to do his career or anything, but, uh, he's, uh, he's up in New York, believe it or not. Uh, I married to his wife. He's got her PhD and, psychiatry and she's working at Columbia University and he's a pit master at uh, yeah, I think uh, 
McReynolds Barbecue. I think that's the right name. I'll probably give you the wrong name, but he's been there a good while, and he knows how to do does does the meat for sure. But he's a, he's also a, uh, got his master's in creative writing, and um, he should be a professor in college. But uh, keep telling him on his portfolio, he needs to keep gathering stuff. He's been published about twenty four times with uh, his poetry. But um, just great example, good hard working people, and uh, he loves basketball too. He's he's really good good guy. You know, I'm going to put all this information in the uh, little summary of what our podcast and what our show is about. But uh, tell us again, if you'd like, uh, uh, the physical address of the museum and also the phone number that they can get in contact with if they uh, somebody would like to uh, do a tour. Okay. <clears throat> physical address is uh, 107 Augsburg Street at the corner of Hopstrausey Street one block south on 290, halfway between Austin and Houston, Texas, you'll find it. And uh, I do it by appointment. And um, just call me up, call me ahead, and I'll, we'll get together at times because sometimes I have to go to Houston. I might meet you. But not like get together with you because I've got doctors I have to go down there. But the number is 713-898-7667. And that's the best way to get me and leave a message. If you don't get me right away, I'll return all my calls right away. And we'd love to have you come by and visit and hope you have a good time. And, and is there an email address or is there a way that they can donate or just go through the phone number that you just give if they would like to donate or uh, um, uh, to the museum? Well, I've got an email address is Texas, spelled out Texas BKB at SW bell.net and uh, on my site there I have a place where you can buy a magazine and uh, that's kind of form of, I've got old magazines that I go over the years I sell magazines on that but technically they could make a donation there I think somehow but I never you know proceeded with that type of thing but um, we're welcome we welcome donations <clears throat> or they can just mail it to P.O. Box 401, attention Bob Springer, uh, Carmine, Texas, 78932, Texas Basketball Museum. And that way they could just send me a check. That'd be fine. I'd, I'd really appreciate that. And, and we'd definitely put to good use. Now, look. I'm from the state of Indiana where it's basketball crazy. I'm a basketball nut. Um, I went there. I've been to the Texas Basketball Museum, guys, that, uh, listeners. And uh, I unfortunately and fortunately went with my wife. So that means my time was limited <laughs> at what I could spend at the Texas Basketball Museum. I could have spent the whole day there with Bob and going through stuff. And the amount of stuff, I'm telling you, if you live in Texas and you want to do a day trip, uh, if you live in Houston, you want to just, you know, Houston, Austin, anything, and you want to do a day trip and you love the game of basketball, this is a fabulous place to go and just to, to check it out. Bob Springer does a, a fantastic job of being the curator. And I can't say 
anything more. And I can't wait actually to get back up there. So um, I know we went a little bit long, uh, uh, Coach Springer, but I, I thank you so much for your time. And, and uh, hopefully we can get this out there, get some stuff uh, 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 going for the museum and uh, uh, see what uh, uh, we can do with your future plans. That sounds great, Billy. I really appreciate you calling me up like this and interviewing me, and I wish you a blessed day.